Hello, this is Ken Foster with the City of Dogs podcast, and I'm here this week with Trayer Scott, who is an animal photographer and who worked with me on our book together, City of Dogs. Um, and the guest this week is one of the subjects from City of Dogs, Broadway dog trainer Lydia DeRoche. I hope I said Hello. that right. Animal trainer. <laughs> Hi. I've I've um, branched out into trainer, other right. species, but that's okay. I'm not I know we're talking we we are dog. You can call me anything. Here, so. Yes, well, I'm waiting. I'm 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 looking forward to City of Rabbits, City of Rats. <laughs> oh wow, that City would be of City of Rats would be, rats would be great. <laughs> yes, I still want to make. I'm that in book. for <laughs> that. I am so in for that book. Whatever you need. <laughs> um. So, just to give people a sense of uh, where we are, because we're all in different places. I am in the Hudson Valley in New York. Treyer is in Providence, Rhode Island, and Lydia is in the Upper West Side of Manhattan, which is the neighborhood that she uh, also represented, essentially, in the book City of Dogs. Uh, but I wanted to start out by hearing a little bit about your background um, in New York, in particular, but also perhaps a little bit of your childhood. Did you grow up with dogs? Did you or other animals well, and how did you end up, up in, in new, new orleans <laughs> and um <laughs> i grew up in new orleans and my mom um was gifted a pet store by her then boyfriend who had a bunch of had like a chain of pet stores and a pet supply warehouse she was his bookkeeper and um she she wasn't really an animal person but i was i was an insane crazy animal person from the moment i you know opened my eyes and um so I would, you know, I would train the hamsters. I would tame them so they could be adopted because, you know, hamsters can be bitey. And, you know, I had guinea pigs and all sorts of other things. And, it, you know, and I loved, you know, I was, I was completely obsessed. Um, and then also my mom's from Honduras. So we would spend, you know, all of our summers in Honduras. And I would get to know the cows and the, um, not the cows, really the goats. There was always something tied up in the backyard that was going to be dinner. And I would always be there trying to get it a stay of execution. So, um, wow. which never worked, which never worked. They mm -hmm. just called me getting loca. Um, but you know, <laughs> so that's kind of like, that's how, that's how it all started. And then, um, I somehow got into the you know, fitness world and was completely obsessed. And so you really can't make any money in New Orleans, especially, you know, in the eighties, <laughs> no one in New Orleans was making any yeah. money teaching aerobics. So, um, I moved to New York and, you know, which, and we were the highest paid instructors in, you know, probably the world. <laughs> and, um, and so, and, and I, loved it and I did really well. And then it just, uh, you know, I was running the vertical clubs when I was 23. So I, you know, I had a, f an amazing, wonderful fitness career and I danced for a living and it was great. Um, but then I just started to miss animals and I wanted a dog more than anything in the world. And I was obsessed and I was like, you know, volunteering at the ASPCA and, and, um, I couldn't even get into a dog walking class. So I was doing humane education, which ended up being a good thing because I got a lot of base knowledge 
Um, but I really wanted the warm fuzzies. And then, um, I was teaching at New York sports club and, um, I kept walking through the free weight room and this guy would go hi. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, whatever. You're so not my type. <laughs> and I'd be like, hi, I work here. So I have to smile at you. And then, um, one day I walked out of the gym and there was this black pit bull standing in front of me. And I said, whose dog is it? And, you know, and I thought, oh, my God, here's all my humane education coming to life. Pitbulls really are abandoned <laughs> right in front of the gym. And then it turned out it was that guy. And he was sitting there and he was like, hey, you know, it's my dog. You can pet her. And I sat there for two hours and threw a water bottle for her and thought, God, this guy doesn't even have a real toy for his dog. And, um, you know, so long story short, we – you know, two weeks later, I broke up with my boyfriend and I was with him for four years and we started a rescue group together and, um, you know, which was a cause for pause. And that's when I started to realize that there was a real need for, you know, training. I thought, you know, training can really help these animals keep their homes. And, um, and so I just, we were hiring a lot of different trainers, you know, trying to, trying to get them, you know, getting help from them with our different animals with issues. Um, and there was one that I liked in particular. So I asked her for an apprenticeship and, and, and soon a dog trainer was born. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I so love that kinda, story. Of, I, uh -huh. I love the story about the guy at the gym. Yeah, I mean, he stalked I feel like it, me, and then I dated him for four years. <laughs> I well, but it, it was because of the dog, though. That's the part that I love about it. Because mm. I think we all have have known people, maybe not that we ended up dating, but that we've become friends with because, um, because of their dog, and like we would oh, never yeah. have spoken to them otherwise. You know, yeah, <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. And you know, and I mean, we're you know, I, I loved his mother more than anything in the world. It's a, you know, it just it's and I. You know, we had an amazing time. It was a lot of fun. And I mean, it completely changed my life. It completely, you know, that pit bull totally changed my life. What was <laughs> so, the pit bull's name? Her name was Sheba. God, she was <laughs> like, we used to call her Wonder Dog. She was amazing. This dog would hurl into waves. Like we'd be at the beach and the waves would be coming in. She would throw her whole body into the wave, mouth open, like she was going to catch it. And then she'd come floating in and you would just see her little back paws up in the air. You know, I actually had a pit like, that would do a very similar thing. She, she would dive into the waves and then ride the wave back in. It was remarkable. Yeah. I, yeah. That's what she would. And I was like, I was blown away because I was. I was a golden retriever person. Like I started volunteering at the A thinking, oh, I'm going to get a golden retriever. You know, like what well, golden's going to come in and I'm just going to, you know, be like me, me, you know, I'm a dedicated volunteer. Give me the golden. And, and then I like completely fell in love with pit bulls. I was like, this is just, you know, the, the, they're so, um, game for anything, mm -hmm. you know, and so that's athletic. like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're the perfect, they're the perfect dog for an athlete, you know, or for, you know, 
anyone who wants to yeah. make it. They're just, and they're just fun. Yeah. I mean, I, I could just, I could ask Red to do anything. I'd be, yeah, Red, let's climb this tree. Okay. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was like whatever I, I wanted. He would, you know, he was like, okay, we're doing this. And he was, it was amazing because he would literally, if it was a new something, I had to stand next to him and hold his harness. Even if I wasn't putting pressure on him and he wasn't leaning into me, he wouldn't do something in the beginning if he wasn't comfortable with it unless I held on to him. And then there would just come that day because we would, we would do it as we were walking through the park, you know, so it was just random trees and guardrails and whatever we found to like use as our agility equipment. And when he was ready, he would literally just run. He would see the obstacle and he'd run up and climb it by himself. And he'd be like, look, look, mom, I did it. It was amazing. He was just. And we have great photographs in mm-hmm. city of dogs that Treyer yes. took of red and including his, um, Running the fence. Yep. Um, Running the fence was some of the, some of the most fun photographs of the whole book. Yeah. Um, and when I say running the fence, I mean literally running down the top of the, the fence that surrounds Central Park. Um, and there were people, it was one of those moments when we were doing those photographs, which I'm sure you were used to seeing this, but I remember taking the photographs and people sort of gathering to watch, you know. That kind of became a, a theme while we were making that book. There were a lot of instances that that happened. And yeah. I, I think I was always too engrossed with making the photos to notice, but you, you would be able to um, see it and capture it. Yeah. On yeah. But seeing him run the fence and then we also uh, watched him go on a errand oh, to the wine with the, store with a basket. basket. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we also was, used to pick was, up ice cream. We would like, <laughs> he was, the, he, yeah, no, he, he loved carrying his basket. He, he loved anything that got him attention and he would bump people with his basket. If we were walking by, because literally everybody would smile as we walked by. And if we walked by somebody and they were like talking on their phone or talking to whoever they were walking with and didn't look at him and smile. He would bump them with the basket <laughs> and be like, excuse me. Hello. I love that particular shoot because we walked for, you know, a, probably a solid, you know, city block um, down the street with him carrying the basket, maybe even further. And every single storefront that we passed, you know, I remember we passed a barber shop that was packed mm-hmm. and everybody stopped what they were doing stared out the window at this dog carrying a carrying a basket down the street and this crazy woman photographing it all you know every single storefront that we passed everyone just stopped what they were doing yeah. and turned around and focused in there and then the reactions were all um just so positive yeah yeah and he was yeah and i remember um i remember also that he um i don't know whether this was right around that same time but he um used to go to the pet store in the neighborhood that closed. Um, mm. And I remember talking to you about the fact that he kept oh. wanting to go into the closed pet store. But oh, Petco, It was like right. impossible yeah. to explain that oh it wasn't God. really there anymore. Oh, um, my God. That was painful. He would stand in front of it and cry. Yeah. Oh, like over a my... year later, he would stand in front of that store and cry. 
my dog used to lead me to pet stores I didn't even know existed uh, <laughs> in the city. And then one of them was turned into a nightclub. And and he kept like leading me to this place that had years earlier been a pet store, but now was a nightclub. And it's like, that's not, we can't go in there anymore. (laughs) Yeah. You have to learn how to use Um, that talent. I mean, I I taught Red to find the remote and I had an assistant once once who taught Red to find his weed. And I was like, uh, dude, (laughs) dude, (laughs) not appropriate. So tell um, us about yeah. some. Well, I was yeah, just going to ask you. Tell us anything. about some of the animals you've trained for Broadway shows. Well, my my first Broadway show animal was Blue, and no, I didn't name either of my dogs. Um, Blue was one of the dogs that my ex rescued. He was found in you know he found him in a junkyard in Harlem. We would go and feed the cats, and um, there was like a cat colony. So Tony got them an igloo and he would pay a homeless man and give him cat food so that the guy would feed the cats for him. And then one day he drove up to the junkyard and Blue was just sitting in a car. And um, and there was a German shepherd there too. And Tony only took Blue because Blue had a hematoma. He was really, he was in really bad shape physically, had terrible allergies. And um and then we were keeping him at a doggy daycare place and I went to pick him up to take him for a walk. And when I brought him back to daycare, he literally put all of his paws on the door, like on the sides of the door. And it was like, it was like a cartoon. Wow. It was like, I'm not going back in there. <laughs> so I called Tony and I was like, he doesn't want to go back in. And he's like, take him home. I'll pay your rent. <laughs> You know, which, by the way, I never asked him for, and he never gave me, jerk. But, um, <laughs> but, but, you know, but he came home with me, and then, you know, and I was, and, and I, and I fell in love with him, and ended up keeping him. You know, it's like it was my, my first foster fail, um, or foster success, and, um, and he was perfect. He was a perfect beginner pit bull because he was very chill. He was small. He was adorable. He didn't have that like super high drivey crazy thing about him. He was just kind of dopey and was like, do 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 do. Um, and he loved car rides more than anything in the world. And he would literally go with anyone. Like you could drive up having never met him before in your life. And he would hop in your car and go for a ride with you. Like, no mommy itis, nothing. He was just the the chillest, coolest, most perfect beginner pit bull anyone could ask for. And um, I mean, he did get into fights with intact males, but my shepherd makes Lizzie took care of that. Right? <laughs> exactly. <Who doesn't? laughs> exactly. He doesn't. <laughs> but um, but Liz- Lizzie was amazing though. Lizzie was like so. She was from the South Bronx. Tony also found her, and um, and Lizzie. I could say, call your dog and Lizzie would literally come flying over and just split between red and the other dog. She would just like, and then drive the dog back to their person. So yeah, it was great. Only, you know, people didn't think I was protecting their dog. (laughs) I know. I was going to say. They thought Lizzie was the aggressive one. Um, But you know, whatever. (laughs) So but whatever, she kept him out of a, a, a trouble. But yeah, so Blue. So Blue how did like, he Blue end up on 15. Broadway? I got a call um, 
from from the you know this the company manager and he said i'm looking for two dogs who are on their last leg and i said oh i have two dogs who are on their last leg cuz lizzie and blue were 15 and um and he said okay we'll come audition so i brought him to audition and he got the gig and it was it was for of mice and men um you know so his our first broadway show was with james franco and chris o'dowd oh. and yeah, Leighton Easter and a bunch of other um, celebrities. And um, Blue has farted pretty much in front of every celebrity. Patty Lapone, <laughs> Daniel. That's quite Radcliffe. a claim to fame right there. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. My dog has made many a celebrity wince. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, but he, he, he was having, he was very rickety and he was having a really hard time getting lying down. Um, so they asked me to bring in another dog and Lizzie was, I was worried Lizzie wasn't going to be able to handle it very well. Um, you know, cause she was even more rickety. And so I, um, got a client's dog who, looked just reminded me so much of blue because she had this very soulful look about her. And so I brought Violet in for an audition and, um, so they made Violet the lead dog and they bumped blue down to understudy, um, which was fine. Blue didn't know the difference. So, and so that was my first, that was my first show. And, and it was amazing because Violet was from Brooklyn CACC. She had been, adopted and returned and she had these weird like um it looked like ligature marks on her wrists and you know on her ankles yeah. and which it was yeah it was it was like how do you get that how did the hair not grow back it looked like somebody had shaved little rings around her wrists and ankles where the hair never grew back um you know close close cropped ears but she was the most darling adorable i mean just uh, and she became like the toast of Broadway and everyone adored her. <laughs> and she was, I mean, she was so perfect in her role. I and mean, she would, you know, it was all about the cookies, but she was like, you know, giving, you know, giving the soulful eyes. And, you know, as she was working with um, Jim Norton, who's a Tony award winner. Um, and she, I mean, she, he and, Violet had such a routine going on that it was just ridiculous. I mean, she would give the drama and people were just blown away. Um, she loved it. She loved it so much that one day she actually got away from me and tried to get on stage during the top of the show. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I had to keep her on the leash after that. Um, but yeah, that was my first Broadway dog. And then after that, um, I would bring Grace to the theater because I, Grace is my Jack Russell. And I would bring her to the theater because I wanted people to have a dog to cuddle because I couldn't let anybody, I, I couldn't even open the door to my dressing room because if Violet made eye contact with people, she would then try to follow them all over the stage. So I really needed her to only be with her person, you know? Right. And, and she was obsessed with him. I mean, she like climbed up the fire escape and started smacking her lips in his window. It was like, I'm here. <laughs> you know, I mean, she was hilarious, but you know, but I had to make sure that it was only, you know, that she only bonded with him. So, and people would just be like, Oh, I can't touch the dogs. 
So I would bring Grace in and Grace was kind of like the cuddler, you know, she would just run Mm. around the theater and jump on people's laps and, you know, get love. And then, um, so then when my cement ended, the stage manager from that show called me and said, I'm doing another show and I, you know, I'd like to use Grace. So that's, you know, that was, that was how we moved into our next show. And, um, but I actually didn't, I signed Curious Incident first. I got, I got Curious Incident, that show, and you can't take it with you all at the same time. Oh, wow. wow. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, it was crazy. It was insane. Um, But, yeah, so I, (laughs) the first show that called was Curious Incident, and they were um, asking me to train puppies and rats. So, and it was Golden Retriever puppies. It was was this crazy... Yeah, it was like a totally full circle thing where like I had spent, you know, the whole reason I I was obsessed with with the dogs and everything was because I wanted a golden retriever like my sister's golden retriever. And, you know, and here I had one golden puppy after another, Um, you know, and it was just, you know, it was it was just kind of a crazy, you know. How many dogs did they go through in that show? Twenty three. Twenty three. <laughs> I potty trained twenty three puppies in a row. I yes. remember you telling me when I had my most my, my most recent baby, and yeah. and she was just yeah. getting into everything. You said that you would just sit on your couch during that time and just throw you know bits of your recycling bin at them. Yeah, to chew on, and that's honestly what I started doing. It works really well. <laughs> right? Isn't bottle, it great? Box. <laughs> Go to dog. I mean, they're, gonna have to, they're gonna chew stuff up anyway, right? Why not chew up your recycling? You can still yeah, recycle absolutely. it. That's what I started yeah. doing. And now I got, idea. I got mm-hmm. to see your animals, uh, your goats and your chickens in Once on This Island. Yes, my love. And they were quite the stars. Oh. Yes, they were amazing. I loved them. So, uh, I still love them so much. Um I moved them to West Virginia because it's a much better life for them. They're they're living at a vegan bed and breakfast. Nice. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. wow. there's a there's a vegan yes. bed and breakfast in West Virginia. There is a vegan wed- bed and breakfast in West Virginia. I'll hook you up. That's um, good to know. And they're wonderful. Like I, you know, and they're I discovered them through Pat Miller, who is I don't know if you guys should know. You should know who Pat Miller is if you don't, <laughs> but she's really, yeah, she's, she's amazing. She's like one of the, she started APTD and PPG and she's, you know, she's like one of the, she also writes for Tufts and Whole Dog Journal, but she's um, an amazing trainer who has her own academy. And, you know, she's in um, Maryland. So I was, I was looking for um, a place for the, goats and chickens. And I reached out to some other trainers that I know because I, I knew that I wanted them to be with a trainer because I, my frustration with the farm that I had, that I had them in mm-hmm. in Nyack was that they really weren't thinking about their emotional lives at all. And it drove me insane. You know, I mean, they were just, you know, they were just basically in a little gated pen and I was like, what? there's no enrichment. What the hell? So I, I wanted to make sure that they were going to have somebody who actually thought about their, them as a whole being and not just, you know, food and water, you know? Right. And, um, 
So I, I reached out to Pat Miller and a few other people and Pat connected me with Peggy, who's one of her, um, training, you know, trainers who's, who's gone to her academy and lives the place in West Virginia is 25 minutes away from Pat's academy. So, you know, I, I brought them there and, and she's, so Peggy started her bed and breakfast and wanted to have like an arm of the bed and breakfast that was a farm animal sanctuary. And I was looking at some other places, but the most, you know, the, the most appealing thing to me about her place was that they would be the first, right? I didn't want, right. I didn't want my animals to have to go and like fit in with anybody else. <laughs> they <laughs> it was would, like, they'd get to set the standard. Exactly. Like anybody else who comes in is going to have to fit in with them, right? Because now they're there first, right? So, <laughs> so I mean, because I had someone else I really, really, really wanted, you know, um, who's amazing, just really incredible. Um, but I just, I, she already had goats and chickens and I didn't want them to have to, you know, go through that whole introductory thing. Um, but they were happy. Like the first day, Peapod was rolling around on his back in the sunshine. They, you know, they're just, they're very, very happy there. And so I have been trying to take every you know, possible opportunity to go back to Sundogs and visit them. I've, I've, I've been taking courses with Pat Miller. I'm like, I'm going to have to become a Pat Miller trainer so that I can keep mm -hmm. taking her courses and, and, and continue to visit my animals. Yeah. Well, I'm glad they're doing well. Peapot, I remember very well. And I met when I went to see the show on Broadway, um, actually, I, mm -hmm. I was so struck by both backstage and I think on stage, just how much uh, light and, and good energy the animals brought to everybody, you know, backstage, they were beloved. Um, and everybody wanted to come say hi to them and would smile when they saw them. And then when they came on stage, you know, the audience just was, was so uh, just, just thrilled to, to see a live animal on the stage. And it brought the whole scene to life. It brought the audience to life. So, I mean, they were such a, they were such an integral part of the show, even though they, you know, aren't really, they weren't on stage for that long. Um, yeah. it was just, it was wonderful to watch. I think that's one of the that's, things though about animals so in special. the city too. Mm -hmm. um, I agree. And animals agree, in a Ken. theater where you're not used to yeah. seeing something that is truly just there and what it is and part of nature. Um, and then it, it sort of immediately grounds everything. Um, which is why animals in the city are so essential, I think, you know, absolutely. Um, as long as they like being in the city. <laughs> right. I mean, it's the same with people. No, because it's like, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I chose, you know, I chose Sparky because Sparky is basically red in a goat. He is a showman. He is, you know, he was a showman. I, I was going to, um, I'd asked the farmer to give me, a, I needed a couple of medium sized goats, right? That's what the show asked for. So I went to pick the goats and, um, they all came running up to me and two of them, Sparky and Peapod, I fell in love with right away. And I was like, I want these two. And she's like, Oh, those are the only two you can't have. <laughs> and I'm like, why? And she's like, well, Peapod, I've raised Peapod since he was like three hours old and he sleeps in my bed and he's like one of the dogs. He's potty trained. He got, you know, she was like, no, he's Peapod's my pet. And I'm like, I, and I'm like, so why not Sparky? And she's like, well, Sparky and Peapod are bonded and goats do that. They like pair off. So I said, 
I really want Sparky. I'm like, I, you know, I want, I want these guys. I want these two. And I should have pushed her a lot harder to get Peapod. But I, you know, I just said, said, I need Sparky. I just need him because none of the other goats were giving me the kind of like, I just knew it when he came up to me. He was just like, I'm a star. And <laughs> so. <laughs> so and then we went to take Sparky. We so she was like, No, you can take Sparky and Spanky. So I took Sparky and Spanky, but literally the minute we opened the car, Peapod ran and jumped in the car. And but she said, No, 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 you can't have him. So I took Sparky and Spanky for a week. And then I called her and I said, I need Is there a fourth caller on the line? <laughs> yeah, who is that? <laughs> Sorry. What is that? <laughs> My dog. <laughs> is your dog burping? She's having some sort of allergy issue. She's <laughs> like wheezing or something. <laughs> like, anyway, that? sorry. That's okay. I thanks for. I was like, I'm just gonna pretend that's not happening. <laughs> but you're okay now, girl. <laughs> so back to Sparky. <laughs> so yeah, so Sparky, Sparky insisted he wanted to go. I brought Sparky and Spanky um, to the you know to the farm, started training them. Realized you know when I brought I I would I got the music from the production. I would play the music every day for them. I would train them while I was playing the music. I would you know train them, feed them. You know we would do everything while they were hearing the music at gradually increasing volumes. Um, you know I had a. I set it up as best I could to what the director told me they'd be doing. Um, and I had people come on the weekends to be like my, my quote unquote audience and, and, you know, hang out and just see how they did with new people coming in. And, you know, and Sparky was, of course, everything that I thought he was going to be. And Spanky was also everything that I thought he was going to be, which was. Not great. I mean, he wasn't bad. He just, he was standoffish. You know, people would come and he would sort of hang around the perimeter. He didn't really come up to people. Um, but also Sparky was such a big personality and Spanky, I think, would have been more outgoing if Sparky hadn't been there because Sparky wasn't going to let him take his attention. So mm -hmm. I called, you know, Sue back and I said, please, 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 I need Peapod. So she gave him up <laughs> and, and I had to, go back and exchange them. But it was, you know, I still feel like I should have really insisted and gotten Peapod from the beginning because I feel like that, that week of them separating and coming back together, it just made Sparky's head explode. Like he was so full of himself by the time Peapod got back. He was like, dude, I'm the king. I'm the king here. I own this joint. I own all the people. You know? And, you know, and I feel like the balance in their hierarchy was, you know, as, as hard as we worked on it, it was never fully restored. Um, you know, cause usually if you've spent time with goats, I don't know if I find that in my experience, they sort of pair off, you know, and there's like, you know, and there's always the pair that's like Zoolander, you know, that they're like the, the party boys, <laughs> you know, that kind of like push the other goats around and they're obnoxious and whatever. And, you know, Anyway, so, um, so they, you know, they, they, but they, they did really well on Broadway. The first day I brought Sparky there, I was going to keep Peapod in the car, but, um, but Sparky literally, his mouth opened. He had like this silent scream <laughs> as soon as we got out. Of, and I was like, Peapod, get Peapod. 
And then we brought Peapod in and he was fine. And then after that, like after, you know, like he was at the theater for a day or two, then he was like, I own the joint. I don't need Peapod anymore. But, um, you know, I, I really needed to have Peapod there too, because God forbid something happened to one of the goats and, you know, Sparky can't perform. Although that never did happen. <laughs> so yeah. Sparky, well, and I thought it was you could pretty... probably, yeah, go ahead. I thought it was pretty interesting. They got driven into the city every day for the for the shows, so they had yeah. sort of the chauffeur into the into the city and then uh, go on stage and then chauffeured back out. And they loved it. They knew their musical cues. The chickens knew their cues too. Like actually, every animal that I've ever worked with, I even have video somewhere of one of the puppies that because um, I would. I had to keep them downstairs because like if I, some, some of the puppies would get so excited about going on stage that I had to keep them a little bit further away because they might give away the scene. <laughs> and, um, and so this, this puppy, it would, there was a, a line that an actor would say. And as soon as he heard that line, he would go flying up the stairs. Because he knew that he was going to go in the box and be taken on stage. He knew it his was cue. Amazing. Yeah, he knew. They all, they, every single, my rat knew her cue. I have never in any of my shows had an animal that did not know their cue. Even Violet, who was, for all intents and purposes, deaf. I mean, I think she was deaf. She, you know, but, um, but Violet, <laughs> Violet knew when it was time for her makeup because she had to get makeup on her because they said she didn't look, she looked too clean to be a ranch hands dog. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so the makeup artist would dirty her up before the show. And, and so she would, there was a certain call in which she got made up. And, you know, when that call, she must have just known like the visual cues of, you know, the way people were bustling around or whatever, whatever was happening prior to that, because then she would just go and sort of like stand by the makeup guys station and be like, you know, like, get with it. Put my towel down. (laughs) Well, dogs are so smart. And you also mentioned your ratties and you and I both share an appreciation and love of rodents. Um, They're amazing. And I know you've been doing a lot of uh, bunny training during quarantine. Right. I wanted to talk about what you've been up to, um, particularly during this pandemic where we've all been finding uh, other projects to dive into or to dive further into. Um, And you've been obviously posting some things on social media uh, with your bunnies. (laughs) Thank you. Well, I, you know, I felt like it was a perfect opportunity for, for me to really um, hopefully inspire people to, do what I'm doing with my rabbits is because, you know, prior to the pandemic, I've, I have, I don't know, for as long as I, I can't remember when I started, but I, I try to always with my rats, with any animal that I have, I, I always interact with them twice a day. Like I make a, a, you know, it's, it's like coffee in the morning for me. It's something that I always do. And I really encourage people to do even if it's three minutes, two times a day. 
And it pretty much was that with the rabbits. You know, I would brush them for three minutes, you know, before I went to work. And then when I got home from work, I would train them for three minutes. And then when we were in quarantine, I thought this is a great chance for me to see how much further I can get on the grooming and video it and show it to like, you know, post it on Facebook and show it to my clients who have dogs who have a really hard time dealing with being brushed and all that other stuff, you know, because a lot of dogs don't like that. Um, You know, they don't like to have their ears washed. They don't like to have their nails clipped. There are so many things that this is the perfect time. If you have a dog with separation anxiety, this is the ideal time for you to deal with it because that's our big barrier. That's our huge obstacle between fix, you know, not fixing and fixing separation anxiety is that people have to go to work, right? So you can't leave your dog for gradually increasing periods of time. (laughs) It's, it's, you know, it's feast or famine and, and then the dog is constantly over threshold. So I thought that the, you know, the pandemic was a wonderful opportunity to hopefully inspire people to do stuff like that. So I started doing the grooming and, and I started doing the training in the evening. Um, and I, instead of our just our regular routine, cause we basically had like three or four things that we did every night. It was like, you know, spin, circle around me, jump through my legs and then go up to your castle and stay. <laughs> and so I started trying to add stuff to that and teach them to jump over hoops and, um, you know, jump through my arms and shake and everything. And, and I have been posting it on social media. And the great thing is that, you know, my friend who was one of my, who was my best friend when I was a fitness instructor 20 something years ago, and now she lives in Arizona and rescues pit bulls by total coincidence, um, just posted a video of herself training her pit bull. And was like, look, Lydia, I'm not in my pajamas, but I'm training my pit bull. And I was like, yay, you know, like anybody, it, it's just, that's, that was the most important thing to me was to be able to get people off the couch and interacting with their animals. It's the perfect time to do it for sure. And and you also have a wonderful collection of adorable pajamas that you wear in these videos. <laughs> and and it's, it's, my favorite part is, is Binky. Is watching the the bunnies jump. The binkies are the best. Binkies are great. Binkies are the best. And I didn't know what it was called until until you told me that it actually has a name. I also should mention rabbits are not bunnies are not rodents, right? I mean, I was I was sort of made that association. Um, I always do that just because you know hamsters, hamsters, rats, rabbits, kind of similar pet genre, but rabbits are not actually rodents. Well, yeah, Um, rabbits have those two front teeth that grow forever. You know, like rodents. Right. But they're, they're but so no, they're similar, lagomorphs. but they're not technically, right? Yeah. No, they're not. They're lagomorphs, and they're only like two lagomorphs in, you know, that whole species. Trayer, you are work. speaking of rodents, you are working on a, well, you, you've completed the work part. I've completed, but You yeah. have a hamster project coming mm-hmm. up. Um, which we were talking about briefly before the official show started. Um, and which I'm um, so excited about. Thank you. I am too. I, so yeah, it's called Goodbye Salad Days is the name of the book. It's going to be coming out from Chronicle Books someday. Um, like so many books and, and projects, it was, you know, slated for release in fall 2020 and because of the virus has been pushed to spring 
um, publishers are kind of grappling with when, when and how to release things now, given, um, you know, given what's going on, but it's, um, it's, it's such a departure for me in some ways, but also kind of a a circling back. I got to build, um, 25 dioramas from scratch, which is an enormous number. Actually, when you, when you start, it sounds easy. And I thought, yeah, sure. I'll be no problem. And then actually building 25, um, you know, one twelfth scale dioramas for a hamster to act out scenarios is really much harder than it sounds, <laughs> but, um, we did it and, um, I'm really proud of it. It's funny. It's a humor book. And, um, you know, I just, gosh, it took a couple of years to make and there is more than one hamster in it, but he is supposed to be all the same hamster. And our guy, Harry, who we have now is just, he's a wonderful, wonderful boy. He's very gentle and loves to be handled and is very inquisitive and fun. And I just think there's such he's a wonderful animals. He's a millennial in the book, right? He is. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a millennial in crisis. <laughs> Which one's Kevin? Kevin? Well, that, Kevin is the character. Um, Harry, okay. Harry is his real name. Harry plays Kevin. That's right. I get Harry it. plays Kevin in the book. Um, and unfortunately, as you know, as you've mentioned before with, with the rats, um, as they the same with hamsters, yeah. they don't live long enough. And so we've actually had a couple of hamsters over the years who have played this role because unfortunately their lifespans right. are just really short. Hamsters are like a year, right? They're... I mean, they, we've gotten two years, but usually a year, yeah. a year and a half. And that's Ugh. so short. Um, I can already tell that Harry's getting a little, you know, he's starting to look a little older and he's not even a year old. Yeah. Yet, so it's just such a yeah, short. No, I, I lost my last rats in January and I, you know, I, I'm, I still have the cage. I still have this giant double critter nation. <laughs> Wow. And, you know, and, and the, and the, you know, and the, um, and the barn and the little mansion I have, you know, I have little, I, I would love to have the, to be able to build dioramas. I was constantly buying them Ikea furniture and everything. They had like a little Ikea replica, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, but I, I just, I can't, you know, I don't want to let go of the cage because it's, it's took forever to build and it's heavy and it's, I feel like I want to get more rats, but I'm just not ready yet. It's just, I'm not emotionally ready to lose another one. Yeah, I'm getting them and losing them is just too, you know, it's just, it's too close together. And, um, and it's, it's, you know, I having only three rabbits because my Jack Russell is quarantining with her daddy. Um, having just the three rabbits, I feel like it's kind of a luxury. I'm usually desperately trying to make sure that all of my animals get enough attention so yeah now you can kind of slow down and focus on the rabbits yeah well i want to circle back to pandemic life although i mean we've been in the midst of it obviously for the entire conversation but (laughs) (laughs) um pandemic you're the one of us obviously that is in in New York city in the midst of all this. So I was wondering what your thoughts are on being in the city in the middle of a quarantine and also what you're imagining or hoping for as we eventually come out of it. 
Oh, I, you know, I'm kind of, I think in, 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 in a way I have, it's kind of been almost easier quote unquote for me because I'm not the kind of person who's like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to me? I'm, I'm just not that kind of, you know, like with the vertical club, I'll never forget when I, you know, I was director of the vertical club and, and I had a friend who was like, Oh my God, you can't, you know, you can't quit. It's just crazy. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? And I was like, it'll be fine, you know? And, and that's kind of how I live my life. So I'm not as worried as I think a lot of people are. Um, I'm not panicking yet. Maybe I will soon. <laughs> but um, in terms of how it's going to start again, um, I've ar- I already have people calling me asking me for in-person appointments. You know, in the last week, I've had three calls for people who don't want to do virtual appointments. They want me to come to their home. And I, I'm not comfortable doing that yet. Right. I think a lot of people are ready, feel ready to start, you know, re-engaging. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's just every, everybody feels differently about it. You have to kind of go with, with your, with your gut and what you feel comfortable with. Well, also yeah, I mean, I see Broadway's so. <laughs> theoretically reopening in June, right? Really? Yeah. yeah. There are tickets for sale, but I'm like, are people buying the tickets? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's the thing that's so hard, but I feel like, I feel like Broadway is going to recover. I feel like we're all going to recover. I just, that's kind of my, I don't know. That's, I'm like very Pollyanna that way. I feel a little Pollyanna about it in some ways myself, and I, and I'm not a Pollyanna. So like, (laughs) but I feel like it's a really difficult thing and it's not over yet. And it's going to change things in ways that you know none of us like change but i also feel right. like maybe in the end some of those changes are necessary yes and, and not just because of this yeah. but for other reasons and they wouldn't have come about without this horrible thing happening um but yeah i'm curious to see obviously like i'm curious animals, to see what's going like to happen living like their lives <laughs> again no i you know whenever i cuz i have a tendency to work 24 seven and not be able to say no. Like it's, I've, I don't know how to say no to an appointment. If somebody says, I need you, you know, it's, you know, in the last 10 years or so, there are a lot more qualified instructors now. And I, you know, train trainers, and I feel like I can refer out, but I've been working really hard, really long days forever. So it's been an incredible break for me. (laughs) And, you know, but my, body, when I go for too long without a day off, my body tends to say, you know what, you need a day off and it'll get me sick or I'll Mm -hmm. injure something or something will happen where I absolutely can't go to work. And I feel like that's what happened to the world. I feel like we've just all been, you know, we don't think about anything else, but, you know, make more money, do more that, you know, get more stuff, get more, you know, like where, or whatever, like even if you're motivated by other things everyone's just working so hard and so much and i think that's what broke us down yeah and and we need time to heal and healing has been i think it's been great in the sense that 
I'm honing other skills. Virtual appointments require different skills. I have a tendency, if a client isn't doing well with their dog, I have a tendency to just take the dog and demonstrate over and over and over again, instead of like really trying to coach the client through, you know, I want to be like, no, here, watch me again. Okay. Now you try again. Oh, no, no, no. You're doing it wrong. Watch me again. And (laughs) I can't do that in a virtual appointment. I have to be really, really, really good at teaching the client how to do that thing with their dog, you know? Yeah, that's a good point, actually. And I I think we're all having to change the way that we communicate and teach and um, learn, you know, through through all of this this virtual um, communication. And it's it's very... um, I think it's interesting. It's tough, but it, but I think we're probably also, like you said, kind of honing new skills and, um, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out for everybody in the long term. But, um, at least the planet is getting a little bit of a break. Um, and that's good. Yeah. 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 I feel like we need to come up with some big uh, happy ending for this discussion. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, we're not quite. Well- New York right. City announced a, a phased reopening plan, right? Right. Is that yeah? I haven't taken a close. Look is that, at that happy or terrifying? <laughs> I mean, Both. I mean, we're still we're still like I, you know, I mean, again, not not a very happy ending, but I just, you know, like I have one of my very first apprentices who was um, in my team dog training program at ACC. Um, she does medical billing now at. Cornell on the east side and her supervisor who's 34 years old is in the ICO with encephalitis, you know, from like COVID related. And she has a seven-year-old daughter. And Mm. I'm sorry, that's not, I, I, (laughs) you can This is the happy part. (laughs) This is the happy part. But no, when you said reopening, I'm like, we're not ready. We're not ready. I know. And it's the thing that I keep thinking, like, I understand we all. cases want to get back to normal but i'm not quite sure we're there yet up up in the hudson valley where i am the huge fancy um outlet mall where like all the designers have their outlet stores is opening up again next week and i'm like really like that's it's like (laughs) yeah there's Um, been talk about our our mall reopening too in like phase we have a three phase opening and I'm just thinking, you know, that's, that's really the last, um, last thing we need right now yeah. is to throw everybody in the mall. One of the other things, especially cause it's like, so that you can buy something that you probably don't need is yeah. that worth the risk. But one of the other things that I'm actually going to be talking to someone about, um, later today for the next podcast is, um, also because the, dog parks in the city have been closed. Um, and when, when do you reopen those, but also what damage is done by not having them open for people who need a place that they can take their dog, you know? Um, and I think that's one of the things that, that it's hard to find that balance of knowing when you're pushing too hard too soon, but also recognizing that there's a healthy, aspects to having these places functioning to some degree, you know? <laughs> well, this can, if people would 
genuinely, if everyone would genuinely be mindful, but when you go outside, you've got people, right? You know, like I go outside and no one's wearing a mask and, you know, people are running without masks and, and that's, you know, wearing a mask doesn't protect you from those people because the droplets can go right through the mask. It's, you know, you're not going to wear plastic right. over your face, even though I did just order two face shields because that's how crazy I am. But, you know, but it's like, you know, and if I'm going to go do an appointment, I don't want to go do an appointment with the mask on my face. Yeah. Because what, you know, what, how is the dog going to feel? I'm meeting little puppies with a mask on my face. You know, they're, you know, I mean, maybe well, it might be good to get them to um, socialized you know, to it. Socialized to mask yeah. faces. I know. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm, those are the like, kinds why? of things that are crazy to think about, you know. But if everyone were just responsible, it, right. We really, we could reopen things, you know, if people were being responsible, but, you know, people aren't and those people could easily, you know, be asymptomatic carriers. So. Yeah, I know. I mean, when this all started six or seven weeks ago, however long it was, mm -hmm. I, before they started shutting everything down, I actually was sitting on the train into the city and thinking like, you know, if we just. If nobody went anywhere for two weeks, it would totally break the yeah. cycle of this. Yeah. This is the kind of crazy time in all of our lives where having animals um, in whatever capacity we might have them in our lives is such a great and healthy distraction. Absolutely. So, oh, can I say one more tiny thing? <laughs> no sure. one. Here's the positive note. There are no dogs at ACC right now. I've been trying to get a dog for a friend's father for over a month and I cannot find, and it can be any breed. So I'm putting that out there and it just has to be a dog who gets along with everything, but like older, fine breed, no restrictions, medium sized, you know, he's 88 years old, so he's got to be able to handle it, but cannot find a dog for him. Well, let's find a dog. Let's find this him a dog. Our, yeah, but this is I'm our mission. Out and there. anyone who's hearing he's in it. Philadelphia, he's <laughs> or near, he's near Philadelphia. So Philadelphia rescuers. I know some Philadelphia people. We could make this happen. Find so. this man a dog. <laughs> yes, that's our positive ending. And now I'll shut up. Okay, this is going to end up <laughs> Thank with you. an adoption. Okay, Thank you. bye. <laughs> All right, bye. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha!